believe we are on. Lorena, thank you so much more for making time. Um, I wanted to invite you because I stumbled on your Instagram uh, right when I wanted to explore a different type of movement uh, because I, my body um, stagnated a little bit, let's put it that way. Um, and at that exact moment, I stumbled on your Instagram where you talk a lot about a movement. You are a movement therapist, um, movement, trauma, emotions. And I would kindly ask you to explain a bit more about who you are and what you do. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting. Um, and I really appreciate your awareness about what I do and how you really see me, which is something that not everyone does. And I'm, I'm going to explain why. It's just a really different approach to therapy. Um, that I guess it's growing nowadays, but it's still quite new. And, and I really appreciate how you saw it straight through. And, and that's really good. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to, to have this space to, to talk about it. Um, and yes, so I've been a therapist. I, I practiced psychometricity, studied psychometricity degree and master's degree back in Portugal. I'm Portuguese. Um, and this was 16 years ago. Uh, I became a therapist, uh, yeah, 16 years ago. And since then, I noticed that although I was studying a sort of movement therapy, that there was, um, I knew that there was a little bit more to it. It was a, an approach that I didn't feel that would, um, that was already seeing the body and emotions as one, definitely. But there were other aspects that I was, that I felt very interested in combining, such as, you know, the Eastern medicine aspects. And, and I felt really curious about yoga and and other practices. So I ended up also studying as uh, to become a yoga therapist, I mean, teacher uh, and then therapist, just because I feel that um, we really need to see the body through different layers and uh, aspects and energetically as well, you know, not just on the part of physicality or, uh, kind of separating the physical from the psychological. And I think Western uh, Eastern medicine does that pretty well as well. Um, so after my yoga teaching course, yes, I just started exploring uh, somatic and emotions release through those, through combining my degree and yoga as a therapy. And I feel that that combined with my passion uh, for sports and for movement, it became movement therapy. So I can't say that, you know, it's just one kind of school and that is psychometricity or just yoga or just, you know, just mobility. Um, it would be a mix of all and all these years of studying and, and practicing and also, you know, j just living through the things that I um that I teach and I guide my clients through, I also experiment them as well. So it's it's very practical and um, as an experience. Yes, that would be my approach. Yeah. Interesting. It sounds like a, a beautiful journey on itself. Um, you mentioned that you are from Portugal. I. What is it with Portuguese people that they are so in touch with their movement or body? <laughs> Well, that's a great question. I think um, we are 
natural born explorers. I think it's on our DNA. And our exploration in history has always been through, you know, um, just crossing oceans and it's not like we we stick around we we've always been movers we've always been going around and very curious and keeping um ancient knowledge quite well and and um just being above all very open and curious as as a baseline you know and also the fact that most of our country is coast <laughs> um i think because we're so close to the coast, we tend to have this like coastal approach to life, more relaxed and more embodied, you know, uh, just taking, seeing happiness in the smallest things, you know, in the sunset, in being, just wearing a bikini or shorts by the beach, you know, just those, those little things really put you in touch with your body as well. So that is probably why, yeah, that combination of, of factors, I would say. Uh, but it's curious that you find the Portuguese like <laughs> movers. That's that's really good. Yeah, and it's good to be part of it. Yeah, maybe I'm a bit biased because of MMA. Of course, we have a lot of uh, uh, very well-rounded uh, Portuguese fighters uh, always uh, in the history of uh, mixed martial arts. Of course, um, mostly Brazilian, though, right? Sorry, wouldn't they mostly be Brazilian? Because I don't know many Portuguese from Portugal. Well, I, while saying it, I, I was a bit confused indeed, and I'm not sure if I could name some at the top of my dome, but I remember Joe Rogan said something about it, but, well, maybe it was Brazilian, yes. Um, when you started doing yoga, where are you... Um, um, I can imagine somebody, at least that's how I would do it, when I uh, go into yoga, uh, were you instantly good at it? Um, and that sounds maybe like a, a vague question, but um, a big part of it, of yoga, from what I think of it, is that um, the exploration is very important. Um, how did you experience that from the start? So that is a really, really good question because uh, I think people usually say, and when I was teaching yoga, because I taught yoga for two years, um, I everyone used to say, oh, I'm not flexible enough to do yoga. And the first aspect of that is yoga is not, that's just one of the eight limbs, right? So when you think about it, you're just talking about the postures, which are the asanas. It's just one of eight in, in a tree of all possibilities of yoga and also the other aspect is actually you are going to that's the same thing as saying oh i can't go to surf lessons because i can't surf you know so um when i started my example is a little bit different because i've always been connected to sports so i've always had a certain level of body awareness of mobility flexibility you know but i would say that what really, really changed was all the other aspects. So when I did my yoga teaching course, although physically wise, I was okay. And it was really intense. It was fantastic. It was in Rishikesh with all Indian teachers. So it was perfect that way. Um, and it was very intense physically. But the thing that changed the most, because I was already quite um, fit before, and although I was sore pretty much every day, uh, I, I did it and I did quite well. But what really changed was the awareness of breath work, 
and the awareness of all of the other limbs, you know, how, how important it is to clean uh, yourself physically, spiritually, and the level of discipline, how important that is, you know, and um, how much we are constantly on survival mode, and we call that a baseline, you know, yoga also showed me that, that we can make things so much easier on us when we check in when we engage with our bodies so yes i would i would say that it was easy-ish physically wise but it was quite life-changing uh on all other aspects you know spiritually emotionally um yeah so that that was really good and i got much better you know in the space of a month my body was just stretching much more but with full awareness not just you know passive openings but just really really aware and it was yeah it's really good life-changing interesting it, it, that that process of um body awareness what you how you call it is i find that such an interesting journey um because like you said a lot of people think like i cannot do certain things with my body but that is exactly where the journey can start right um, before we dive uh, later in this conversation into certain techniques, because obviously you have a whole deck of what people can and, and do with their body, with their emotions and, and trauma, um, maybe we can first um, explore the term body awareness a bit more first. Um, I, I can assume that it goes a bit further than just knowing what bicep muscle to flex when you are doing an exercise um i'm not sure if we i mean it's a broad question so can we explore that that definition a bit more yes uh it is definitely a very broad and personal question you know what is body awareness for some people it's going to mean pleasure for other people it means noticing things that are really scary you know and sometimes we jump straight to the point of um, seeing body awareness as something that is fun and good but for some people it can be just obnoxious it can be the scariest most difficult thing they'd rather be on their minds a lot uh, and also that's mostly our states nowadays the state of mind the state of looking at things and you know um, completing tasks constantly so what is body awareness? Uh, that is a beautiful question. I would, I would say that when you think about it, there's a lot of proprioception. And what is proprioception? Is when you know the state where your body is, in which position, and how it is, right? So body awareness can start with that on a very, very physical level. But if we go to deeper layers of that, if we just start on that general muscles, bones, and space, we can then go a little bit deeper to ourselves, you know, and ourselves, they hear our thoughts. Our When we are um, having positive thoughts, we are releasing certain hormones um, on our bloodstream, which will then uh, create different levels of either inflammation or no inflammation or restore. And all of that is going to all of our cells, all of those juices um it's all gonna reach ourselves on a on a cellular level so body awareness is also that when we bring attention to a particular part of our body 
uh, that part, although we think that it might sound a little bit spiritual, but it isn't. We are bringing attention to that part on a cellular, cellular level. And we are definitely creating a change, even if it is just, for example, a muscle relaxation, which is what can happen with body awareness when I, um, when we ask ourselves, all right, place your hand on your chest, just bringing awareness to your chest is going to quite possibly, in most cases, relax that area. You're going to either notice that it was tense or you're going to feel safe in that area because your hand is there and there's a warmth there, so you're going to feel relaxed, right? So even that is going to create um, the bloodstream, the the vases, your vases, to relax, to stop constricting, and it's going to bring more blood to that area, more nutrients, more oxygen, so more healing, all right? So body awareness is also that. It's, it's not just, um, all right, how I, what's my position right now? Um, but it's also that sensation that you can bring and that love and care and attention that you can put in your body uh, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Yes, that that would be it. But you know, I think I would I could talk about just body awareness for the entire podcast. You know, <laughs> because it can there's so many layers of it, and it can be so complex. But I think to put it this way, um, I hopefully gave a, an answer that you're satisfied with. <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think you did um, because um, you know, realizing when I answered, when I asked the question, it is um, almost impossible to grasp the definition of something uh, so versatile in one answer. Um, <laughs> because, like you said, it, it is different for everybody. Um, we will get onto that uh, more later uh, because I really find it an interesting topic. Um, you are a movement therapist um, that requires uh, movement, of course, um, but you also touch on a lot of emotions. Um, yet again, a, a very broad question, but how can we, before you work with emotions, you have to understand the um, characteristics of emotions, right? How would you describe an emotion? Of course, no problem. Um, I love how you're asking the questions and you're like, oh my God, is this <laughs> too, too broad? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, all good, all good. I, I really like those kinds of questions and I really appreciate your curiosity around it. Uh, obviously, there's many different theories about emotions, right? So it's all about, um, I can choose one, which might be a little bit biased because he's Portuguese. <laughs> mm -hmm. But he's a neuroscientist that uh, talks a lot about emotions. His name is Antonio Damasio, and he works in the States. Um, I feel that he might still be there, hopefully. Uh, if not, he was there, and he did a lot of research there, and he wrote um, lots of beautiful books around emotions. So he describes um, emotions, and he looks at emotions as primary and secondary, and he separates them from, from feelings. So let's focus on the primary emotions for for this case which can be our strong emotions that start from the amygdala you know um that would be my idea of what emotions are it would be so for example anger surprise 
happiness, sadness. So those basic, basic uh, emotions that Damasio calls um, primary. Okay. So these may start, they do start on your limbic system. So on bottom layers of the brain. And that's where I do a lot of work in, in my therapy. You know, that that's why, uh, I mean, we're going to get there. I'm already ahead of myself. So <laughs> we have um, those emotions that start around the hippocampus and the amygdala. And that's why emotions are so connected to memory. Um, they start on a layer that is not cognitive. Um, it's not even a layer that has um, words or, or that is verbal. It's entirely entirely um, all about reflex or if it's not about reflex it's about a reaction that might not be reflex but it usually takes you know i think not 0.3 seconds i think to feel an emotion towards uh, something i might be wrong but i think that's the amount of time that our brain chooses an emotion and releases it okay um so when we feel let's say scared our brain, our limbic system is going to initiate a response that is going to release cortisol, adrenaline, noradrenaline to get us ready to defend ourselves. Okay, so that's how emotions work. When we feel happiness, we're going to release um, other hormones such as serotonin, uh, oxytocin if we're feeling love. Um, and it works exactly the same way. So it all happens in the lim limbic system, which is just like other mammals have, which is beautiful, because this means that um, every single mammal in the world is going to feel emotions as we do. They do feel anger, they do feel sadness, they do feel happiness, and I think that is really, really beautiful, um, because we have a similar, not obviously the same, but a similar limbic system. We have a limb, we have the reptilian below that, which is similar to reptilians, and then we have the limbic mammalian area of, of the brain, which is where emotions happen. And only then we have the layer of the cortex and the prefrontal cortex and all of that. Um, so yes, yeah, so this is emotions on a very neurological, scientific level. Um, and I, although I feel that they can be quite energetic and, and spiritual as well, this is their basis. And, and I, I think our basis per se is quite energetic anyway, you know, our, our brains release a strong amount of electromagnetism, it releases electricity. So it's that is energy. And I really like to combine both aspects because people say one thing is science, the other thing is spirituality. But to be honest, they couldn't be more combined. When, when you look at these um, neurostructures that we have and the impact they have on the world, in ourselves, in other people, um, that can get to really, uh, to a level of spiritual awareness, I think. And, and emotions are, is one of the things that people say, oh, that's just feelings, it's just psychological. But no, it's, it's an entire, entirely scientific process. And, and that doesn't make it less valuable. You know, it's, yeah, I don't know, I'm talking a lot about it because I get so excited about talking about emotions. <laughs> Hopefully this made sense, yeah. It did to me, and you can talk as much as you want, of course. Uh, that's why <laughs> I ask you for the podcast. Um, <laughs> when we produce such emotions um, in interaction with 
another person or a life event, for example. Um, how do we store those emotions into our body? I mean, they get stored on a cellular cellu cellular level, right? Yes, um, they do. They can get stored through, I would say, there's many, many theories around it. And I'm looking a lot at theories of the fascia at the moment. In the past, I would look more at uh, how emotions get stored in the body through muscle tension. But I think uh, I'm just starting on it. So I won't be developing it too much because um, I don't know about it enough to talk about it. But I really feel um, that emotions are stored on the fascia, on our fascia, and that impacts in muscle tension. So what are emotions? Even the word says emotion, right? So you have technically, it's something that creates a motion. When you're scared, you need to run away. When you're happy, you will want to express it. You want to hug. You feel, you know, your chest is rising. You want to dance. You, you, you're smiling. There's always a physical expression of an emotion, or there should be, all right? So when we're sad, we're going to cry. There's usually um, motion aspect of that emotion. Emotions can get stored in the body when this doesn't happen, okay? Um, if you feel a certain deep sadness, and let's say your partner can't cope with their, your, your sadness, so you try to be happy next to your partner, um, that surely, on the long term, if it happens a lot, it can cause a certain level of trauma, okay? And that is what a, um, a stored emotion can cause. It's going to create that muscle tension, right, in a, in a certain area of your body. So sadness, can they say it's stored in the lungs or in the lung area, or like in these points where the lungs connect. Um, and technically where the lungs connect and they create deeper, like the deepest breath, which is really interesting, just a little detail. When, when you experience that sadness and you can't cry, for example, you can't express it, you can't recognize it and say, I'm sad, I want to cry, I want, you know, I want to sob because I'm really sad and instead you're smiling or you're, you know, stuck in your own ways, that is all getting locked in those areas of your body, all right? It's going to create that tension, which is going to constrict your blood vessels, and it's going to reduce the amount of blood and oxygen and nutrients that reach that area. That is going to cause, a, the minimum would be soreness and muscle tension. Um... And then it can escalate to, to other things more, you know, chronic in the future if we don't look at it. So that would be how the emotions can get stored in the body. And there's that's just, you know, one detail of many because we, we experience all sorts of emotions and it's really complex and it really depends. But that would be one, one example of it. Interesting. Yeah, I think it has so much more impact than the general public uh, has um, an idea of um, that we just get mad and then it goes away or we just are sad and um, we move on with our days. And mm. um, I think it should be, or it is really um, 
an expression of self-care if you uh, look at it, it it comes at you the emotion and what does it to your body that's i think that's really important mm. um you mentioned that when we talk about uh, body awareness and emotions um body aware body awareness is of course very important because you have to be aware of what is happening in your uh, physical body um you mentioned that you were attracted to sports very early on um so i assume that you um had a, uh, wow my words <laughs> i assume <laughs> that you uh got in touch with your body and your emotions on an early age um is that right and how did you how do you think that um that was the f that w that you had that feeling at an early age um you know it's not like i had an option to be honest because my parents they're very sporty and since i'm little i've always been doing i don't remember not doing sports ever so i remember at least i don't remember my mom told me that when I was three, four years old, she was already teaching gymnastics to a different group um, back in Portugal. And I would go with her to her, you know, to her lessons. And I was really little and I just started engaging in, you know, little gymnastics here and there as a baby. And then when I was about six years old, and this is really, really, it really got me emotional when I realized I was already teaching my first lessons because I would go, I would keep going to those lessons. And then my mom would say, all right, wh why don't you help me? Help me with that little kid needs your help. And it was like a, a baby or, you know, for a toddler or something, not a baby. Um, so I started actually teaching that young, which, which is really, really cool. Um, and so, yeah, I did a little bit of gymnastics. I ended up then going from my mom to a different teacher, did a little tiny bit of gymnastics until I was about 10 years old. Um, and then after that, I used to run with my mom all the time uh, along the coast. And uh, I did a tiny bit of dancing, kind of hip hop dancing for like one year. Um, nothing too serious, you know, teenager, too cool to do that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> Um, and then I actually studied in the sports university. I, I'm not sure if you know him, but there's a really famous Portuguese coach called José Mourinho. Uh, he, he was coaching a lot here in, in the UK. Um, and he studied there. So he studied, we studied in the same university. I was doing... Wow therapy in a sports kinetics university so it really opened up my mind to all sorts of different activities and, and keeping active and that was also where my yoga journey started my first yoga lesson ever was in in that university um, FMH uh, University of Lisbon of uh, University of Kinetics in, in Lisbon um and yes then after that it was just it opened up to other things such as jiu-jitsu and i started falling in love with inversions and handstanding and mobility and it just kept growing and growing you know it's just, and nowadays i do a bit of everything to be honest yeah <laughs> yeah i noticed i know it's very impressive your mobility is beyond levels i can imagine so <laughs> it's very impressive <laughs> 
Um, but when um, of, I, I can imagine that if the listener is listening to this podcast, um, not all of them had that journey, of course. Um, and some of them are moving. I mean, a lot of people are going to the gym or doing harsh workouts. Um, but I see a lot of people, including myself for, for a long time, and maybe I'm still doing that, um, working out, but very goal-oriented. And that is, um, even when I'm doing squats or deadlifts or any compound movement, um, I feel like even when you are moving, you're not completely in your body. So I'm, I'm wondering, or I'm curious to, when in, when in that period of time, in that journey of your you developing your movement, um, when was a specific moment that you realized it's not about the movement, it's about what is moving inside me? Maybe, maybe I'm, it's a bit far-fetched, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to ask. I think both my course and and yoga helped me through that that awareness and um, experience itself showed me that when I have particular goals or when my clients that I work with have strong goals that they need to reach, it can become quite stressful and they're not in the present moment. So um, I started gathering that with... Um, a bit of talks from Alan Watts, you know, and, and other beautiful um, people, scientists that really talk about what is to be present and what does that mean? Even gurus, you know, there's always that idea of the more present you are, the, the calmer you are. And your state of calm is your state of restoration, is your state of health. When you have a goal, and when you're working towards a goal, you will be living in the future because you want to reach that goal. And even if you're trying to be as present as possible, in the back of your head, there's going to be, um, all right, I need to get to, you know, 75 kilos of a squat, you know, for example. And I'm not saying that that is bad and that can be a good technique for motivation for people. But it's really important to take the time to just relax and to say, you know what, I'm just going to do that squat and I'm going to appreciate my quads so much and my hamstrings and my feet, my toes. You know, I'm just going to see how strong I am in that very moment. And that creates when you shift the mindset, even for a bit, um, it's really, really going to change things around and you might you still make a lot of progress, if not even more progress, because your muscles won't be as tense, you won't be as stressed, and you will be recovering better. Um, so yes, I think it was mostly all the teaching in, in my university, all about being connected to the body and all that body work that we used to do that was marvelous, um, and yoga. And then I started connecting the dots, and when you see different schools saying the same thing, you know, um, Ram Das, Alan Watts, my teachers in uni, my yoga teachers in India, in Rishikesh, you know, just different corners of the world um, saying similar things. You start connecting the dots and you start thinking, all right, how can I apply this to one of the things that I love the most, which is practicing training, you know, how can I apply this to my daily life? Well, 
that that way I can feel much better. You know, if I don't have any particular goals all the time, uh, if sometimes I can just be there and appreciate that moment of moving, you know, just moving for the sake of it. Um, and it really shifts things around. And, and I recommend anyone to try this and, and to enter that playful state almost, right? We all miss when we were kids. We all miss our break times in school when we were just playing around. And when you think about it, what was happening then? We were freely playing. We weren't thinking, oh, I need to score three goals today. I mean, we were just going to play football with our mates. I mean, I, I didn't because I'm, I'm very bad with football. But you were completely in the moment and you were thinking, yes, it's break time. Let's go. Let's, you know, no plans. Let's do what happens. Oh, yeah, let's play football. And then you score a goal and it feels like you're, you're Ronaldo. You know, you feel like the center of the world back then and everyone is celebrating around you. And that's when we miss childhood. That's what we miss. It's that present state, that's that mindful, completely just present in the moment state without thinking about anything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that is really important. I think uh, when you, I mean, I'm not sure if you see a lot of people doing it that way, but when I'm in the gym, I see a lot of static movements. And like I said, it's very goal oriented, but it's also from up to down from left to right and I think the real movement just like real emotions um, occur in yeah I'm, I'm not sure how to explain that in English but um, they are not really occurring from A to B um, and I think that works for movement that works for emotions um, so that explorative playful state you talk about I think that's really important um, and to move more in into what we do in daily life. I mean, a, a squat can be helpful, but a handstand or turning, standing on your head before, uh, for example, could be very interesting because you experience fear, for example, because you're not in that particular um, stance <laughs> during the day. Um, yeah, I find that very interesting. So we talked about your journey uh, we talked about emotions movement when somebody is coming to you for therapy how do you um, take them on a journey how do you guide them could you explain a bit more on how, how you approach your therapy from beginning to end um, it's entirely entirely individualized yes um, so I really try to to be as connected to the person as I can and, and really feel them as a one individual, you know, one person with their own history. Um, I don't have a particular recipe that I always follow. So I really, my main thing is to focus on the human being as they are and um, to to devote myself to their story, to where they're at and, and to where they want to be, you know? So I can't say, although in general, my therapy, my one-to-ones, they involve body work and verbal therapy, both combined. And I usually give homework all the time because <laughs> um, I like my my humans to, to stay always connected to themselves and not just when I'm there, you know, one, one hour per week is 
it's not enough you need to always be with that consciousness so i give homework as well so yes there's that aspect of completely indi completely individualized um body work and verbal therapy and then there might be you know for homework a bit of art therapy um a lot of journaling and um yeah so that is quite general but then when i work with a client i it's all very very specific if if that makes sense and i work with all sorts of uh different aspects uh, that can happen throughout someone's life um it can be just more on the coaching side of it kind of more advice and tips to improve boundaries to the other end of it you know working with extreme ptsd um with special educational needs uh asc for example and and other sorts of comorbidities with mental health disorders so um it i yeah because it's so varied i always look at the the client the human being as as that person and one story and i think sometimes what people don't realize is that it's how much the work of a therapist it's outside of the the therapy per se you know we, we literally at least i speak for myself i will buy books to understand a bit more that particular situation if if i haven't uh, read about it as much or if uni was you know 16 years ago it's been too long i need to refresh my mind so i will get a book for that specific situation and i'm going to always you know be on the constant refreshing and and really sometimes at night i might be falling asleep and having an insight and thinking oh i need to try this with this particular client this is such a great idea and i think that's what people don't realize how much work there is in study and and devotion that is outside of that one to one that one to one is pretty much the tip of of the iceberg um and all the rest is is underneath is hidden and and people usually don't know that which is i think should be shared <laughs> yeah most definitely i think it's very underestimated sometimes very underestimated um what a coach really does for somebody and um i always that's at least what i experienced with my last uh, coaching it was in microdosing she was from brighton as well i believe it's very coincident but um she really uh looked at me and um gave me the tools that i had in myself so that i can move forward the next few weeks for example and i think that's that's a really good idea uh, a good example of how good a coach is and i think uh, i believe you you have the exact same uh, capabilities to do that um when you um when somebody wants to do more in movement um at the very very basic level so for example somebody has has only done ex um static movement like like an exercise in the gym and they feel like they want to explore more body awareness but the first thing that people come up with is like i don't know how like you mentioned earlier with yoga mm -hmm. what is the smallest first step people can do to gain more body awareness beautiful question um waking up in the morning and not 
switching your phone on, keeping your phone on airplane mode. If you don't keep your phone on airplane mode, please do that as of today, as of right now. If you're listening to this, it's a sign from the cosmos. Mm -hmm. Mm, And just connecting through your body as you are waking up. You can even stay in bed for this, but you can start just by stretching, just giving yourself a very big stretch and starting to be aware of how your body is in that exact moment in time. How are you feeling? Is there any tension? What were your dreams last night? How is your mental state? How is your emotional state? Um, and recognizing if there's any tension after sleeping that is massive, that is your body saying, hey, let's pay attention to this area. Let's bring some blood to this area, meaning I don't want you to passive stretch it or uh, I want you to, that's what the body is saying, I want you to put some energy in there, really work. Is your back hurting? Then you probably should be doing some pulling or some, some hangs and, and so on. Um, so I think that is a great, great start. And if you don't know where to start mobility-wise, then definitely seek someone who can give you at least one one-to-one, you know, because sometimes I understand that financially it might not work for everyone to have a coach. Um, but you can, you know, have less drinks at the pub for, let's say, a month, and then you're going to have money for that little one-to-one, and you can literally say, all right, I want to start my movement mobility journey, and I want to know where to start. And that person can give you the tools um, for you to start right there. And then from there, you can build it up. You know, it's really, really important, especially, of course, you can go on YouTube, you can go on Instagram, but it's not the same. If you have someone who's knowledgeable, giving you a little bit of guidance, and if you're feeling lost, you know, that would be the next step after having that body awareness that you can have in, in the morning. You know, it's really important for you to do things in the most grounded and individualized way. And there's so much online um, that it might not be giving you the right tools, the right individualized tools. So that would be my next recommendation. That and realizing um, where the tension is. For example, people usually know that they their hips don't open very well or that their shoulders are a bit stuck. So that would be the starting point. That's exactly where you need to go. Look through the weaknesses in your body and work on mobility in those areas with good knowledge. Don't just go there and, you know, stretch it out and and then you're going to feel more sore and you don't know why. You know, it's all about really noticing, all right, I feel usually my, you will know which part of your body is more stuck. So that's exactly where you need to go. Because I think we were talking about going to the gym and doing always the same movements um that is so true because for example if you're as a human if we're good if we have like really strong legs we're going to be squatting all the time because we're going to keep adding weight i'm going to feel super happy about it so we're always going to be squatting and then you forget the shoulders you forget you know your core etc and then you might have problems in with your lower back and you don't even know why so it's it's all about going exactly where you feel you think you don't want to go uh, and and working there, opening there, bringing you know movement towards that that area. Yeah, that's I think that's beautiful um, because we I think people often experience resistance as, as something that they should move away from. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there's extremely value in 
um, looking in a soft way to find those uh, resistances as well. Um, I, I remember a friend of mine it was after an ayahuasca session I told you about. Um, um, she, I had, I felt major resistance in the weeks after uh, that ceremony, and every time I stumbled on something and it it hit me, she asked me, "What is it telling you?" And I think the same goes for movement. Um, why? is your uh, hip flexor tight or or something in your chest um, it, it can be such a beautiful interaction between you and your body uh, and instead of forcing through it 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 can be very yeah it can be very gentle as well i i really like that that approach and that's also what i hear in your story um, what can you do with your resistance and what what can the movement do for you mm -hmm. um okay so um being more aware in the morning and finding a one-on-one -on -one coach i i totally agree I, i love that advice um when somebody's going to the gym for example i think a lot of people are moving in the gym and not particularly out of the gym that's just how modern uh society is built at this moment i believe um what can some do some people do to have a more playful way of going to the gym um i, I think a lot of people think i want to do that but i don't know where to start but we're <laughs> we, we are very used to um follow a schedule and then we're done So mm -hmm. what is the smallest thing we some can do uh, when they are in a gym and they want to have that playful movement, just like you do with a handstand or any other difficult movement I I, experience, I see in your Instagram? <laughs> um, I think it's about tapping into the sense of boredom. I think at least that's for me. Uh, when I feel that my practice is a bit too repetitive, I tend to try and get as creative as possible. Um, so my recommendation to be playful is to actually um, consider focusing more on your vestibular system, the, your system that uh, controls your balance. So instead of uh, looking at static movements, which I think most of us do all the time in, in more like uh, unilateral and the kind of um, movements, less dynamic, Consider messing around with your vestibular system and grab, a, you know, those bozu balls that is just like a bubble. They look like a bubble. They are um, completely flat on one side and they're a bubble on top. They're usually blue. Um, get one of those, stand on it and mess around, try to move one leg. And music is really important. If you're a music listener, if you like, you know, music can really get you in the groove. So get out of your gym playlist, which is usually some people are going to listen more to rock or more like club, something like very like strong and energetic. Get out of there and choose a more, you know, playful music, something that makes you feel more chilled and more that you would choose that playlist for, let's say, hanging out with your friends, watching the sunset kind of playlist, you know, um, because that's going to put you in a more flowy mindset as well. So, and then you can practice with your balance, for example, and, and really be standing on top of the bozu, creating different sorts of shapes, um, 
And what's really, really important, I think, uh, is something that people block themselves a lot from, which is, oh, I'm going to look weird. I'm going to look different at the gym because everyone is doing something else. But that is also something that should be worked on. You know, why are you putting that weight, that unnecessary weight on yourself? Would little you worried worry about how you're looking when you go to your playground and, and you, when you spend those beautiful afternoons with your friends where nothing mattered? So can you bring that awareness here? Because it needs to start with us. It can't be others allowing us to be ourselves. Only us allow us to be ourselves you know so and we are always the first ones to stop allowing us to be ourselves so it's that mindset as well you know and um once you get to that state you grab some really nice relaxing music some chilled still like you know movement mu music not too chilled otherwise you're going to be laying down on the gym but um definitely get in touch with yourself as well and there are no rules but i think starting with balance work would be a really good idea and having an instrument like a tool that you can use is going to give you a bit more grounding because if you don't have any tools you might feel a little bit lost so that can be a good start either that or just some just shaking as a warm-up um just give yourself a really really good shaking and maybe movement can start flowing from there as well Shaking is so underrated. <laughs> I uh, experienced that um, after I started microdosing. Um, it, 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 it feels like you're almost shaking off the tension that is, for me, it's in, in my pelvis, a lot of tension over there. And yeah, shaking is, is insane. People, if you're listening, please use this uh, or try it. Uh, try it at home first because it will indeed look awkward <laughs> if, if you <laughs> at least it was for something for myself but i have to work on that as well but the balance part is also very nice that you mentioned that um not only on a on a uh, on the level of building muscle but also on if you i did plyometrics last week uh, i was i was jumping like an idiot in, in the into the gym and I felt a lot of tension in, but different types of tension in my left and right leg. And mm. um, that, for example, um, gave me more awareness about how my my upper back is um, contributing to that as well. So, yeah, mm. I, I love those suggestions. I love those suggestions. Um, where, so we um, have the morning ritual. We have a coach. We have the balance and we have the um, the balance. What what was the the last one you touched on? Uh, the the awareness of self and and allowing yourself to to be yeah, yourself. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Those are those are some good tips for a start. Definitely. Yeah. But you know, connecting with yourself in the morning is really important. I give you that mindset. It is, and and of course the shaking. That's the one I also forgot. <laughs> of course, <laughs> I emphasized it on so so uh, badly. But um, okay, um, those are perfect uh, advices. Um, when you want to go a little bit more deeper, I see you uh, touch on 
certain movement that specifically targets um, certain organs. Um, could you name, for example, three um, that people can look into um, for their own practice? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Um, not only organs, but as you were saying, your your pelvic floor is quite tight. Um, so let me think. We can start focusing on that. Exactly. So just to release the hips, and then we might talk about the intestines. Uh, there's a really good exercise for it as well. And then the third one we could think of the lungs could be an idea. Um, and are you considering exact body movements or could it be just somatic therapy? Um, what is the most practical for the listener? I think that you know that better than I do. Mm hmm. I think probably both. Um, but let's let's see how let's let's play along and and let's see how how it okay. goes. Um, so there's a really good one. There's a really good exercise for hip release uh, that I was actually working on with the client just uh, in the session before the podcast. Which is really good and really deep for emotion release and can also happen with mobility. And it's very easy. It's for everyone uh, to try. Um, so you, you have to lay down on the floor with your knees up and kind of your ankles closer to your bum. Uh, and from then, you're going to keep your hands just at the bottom of your lungs where the, the diaphragm is and kind of around um, your ribs. And you're, you'll have to make sure that your shoulders are always connecting with the floor as you do this. And then you move your knees from one side to the other. So you're going to move it to the left side and your left leg is going to touch the floor entirely. Your right leg might touch it or not, depends on your mobility. And then all the way to the right side. And you're going to do this repeatedly for a minimum of five to ten minutes. This not only works on your hip mobility, uh, it strengthens it, that lack of, that um, unbalance, to balance, to coming back, really is going to work on the inner aspects of your balance on the hips, instead of, you know, when you do squatting with weights, it's going to work on your bigger muscle groups. And this kind of exercise is going to really target the, the slower, more anti-gravitational anti uh, muscles. And from there, you might also experience motion release because usually when we have our uh, hips a bit more tense, it's usually related to moments that we uh, wanted to either, that were uncomfortable for us and we stayed in those moments, but our body wanted us to leave, our body wanted us to escape from it somehow. Um, so that's why lots of emotions are stored in, in the hips because lots of times as adults we end up staying in, in situations um, that society asks us to stay or to accept or that we didn't know better because we were children um, and we didn't react upon it when, when we should have. So that, that that's usually why people say that emotions get stored in, in the hips a lot because the hips is the center where you can escape from, you can run. Um, so it's usually related to that. Yes. Yeah, so this, this would be a good exercise for, for the hips. Yes. Sounds for wonderful. Your, 
<laughs> Thank you. Another one that I feel is really basic and important um, is one for your bowels and organs. It not only helps detox, um, as it can also help because we, we release happy hormones from our intestines a lot. And sometimes when we have a gut problem, it might be uh, expressing itself in sorts of feeling sad or anxious, mostly anxious. And sometimes people are going to think, oh, you're right, you're anxious. You just need some pills for your anxiety and that's it. And the problem is still lingering there because it's actually, uh, let's say, an overgrowth of bacteria or high inflammation in, in your bowels. And you're always going to have what people might misdiagnose as general anxiety when what you have is a gut problem, all right? So um, this exercise is actually a yoga one and it's called Nauli Kriya. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. <laughs> and uh, it's when you suck your belly in and, and your, your belly button goes towards your spine pretty much. And this requires practice, but the practice per se is already a perfect way of starting to get more engaged and starting the detoxing, all right? And this needs to be done on an empty stomach. Um, and usually you have to, be, to bend forward a little bit, place your hands on your knees. And um, from there, you're going to create a vacuum on, on your belly and you're going to feel, you probably have seen this before somewhere, uh, you're going to see the belly button going towards the spine and your belly is going to look like an alien belly almost, like completely sucked in, very different from, from what we perceive as a normal belly, right? And just holding there on an empty stomach in the morning is going to create uh, that movement of suction and then release which is really, really good and really healthy for you. And it might help you feel um, not only better physically because it detoxes your organs, but also mentally. And it might reduce um, feelings of anxiety slash, slash worry. Yes. Wow. Now I remember that you did mention it to me once. Uh, I just didn't recognize the name. <laughs> but yeah, I recognize the movement. Um, for, so if you uh, create that feeling of suction, um, how long do you keep it there? So you go through it by firstly inhaling and feeling your diaphragm, your belly is going to create a bit more space, you inhale. And then as you exhale, you're going to start creating that vacuum and then you exhale um, almost as much as possible not as much as possible almost as much as possible and you just lock it as it is but obviously this needs probably um a bit more practice all right at first it might feel a bit strange but then you'll get to that movement and i have i think i have one or two posts on my instagram about naoli kriya that i can share in my stories um when you when you put this live yeah um, and yes and from there you exhale, you lock it for as long as you can. And then you inhale very, very slowly after that. And you should be doing this for a minimum of, you know, 10 minutes. I think if you engage for it, five minutes is already going to make a difference, but it should be a little bit longer if, if possible. Sounds, sounds uh, like something I should do in the morning. Indeed. <laughs> I will incorporate it tomorrow morning. <laughs> Because I don't have an empty stomach, unfortunately, at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
to go uh, and then I can share more because this is something that is considered an advanced practice, although it's reachable. It's something that every single human can learn how to do, definitely. And it really helps with your core. Uh, even it, it takes the pressure from your hip flexors if your lower core is engaging well. Um, and it's really, really good for you on all aspects. Yeah, it's really, really good. Perfect. Well, already two amazing exercises. And you had one for the lungs as well? Yes, yes. This one um, is, how can I explain? So you place, you place your hands against the wall and you're kind of bending forward and you're going to um, keep the shoulders connected and really close to your ears. So it's going to look more or less like this. And you're going to create a line with, with your spine and you're going to be kind of 90 degrees to the floor, kind of bending forward against the wall. And then you're going to inhale. And as you inhale, you're going to create kind of an opening, but keeping the shoulders locked. So you're going to inhale and keep the shoulders locked and open very slowly. And then as you exhale, you're going to create a curve. So kind of like this, let me show you. Mm -hmm. Imagine that the wall is right here mm -hmm. and against the wall. <laughs> and from here, you're going to inhale and open up, bring the thorax down a little bit, and then exhale and bring the thorax in. So this is gonna be, you're gonna focus on moving the ribs down, up and down while keeping the shoulders locked. And you're gonna do that same thing, you know, for at least 10 minutes, and you're gonna feel a release on your lungs when you do that at the same time that you are opening your shoulders. So this, this one is good for sadness, grief, when we hold, you know, um, the weight of loss, this is a good exercise for it. And when I say grief, it's not just, or loss, it's not just um, losing someone, you know, um, through death, but it can be losing someone like breaking a relationship up, you know, losing a friend, they stop, you stop being friends or you broke up with your partner, so, something like that. Yeah, all sorts of grief. Wow. That is fascinating. I was a bit a bit speechless <laughs> of, uh, about the, the, the movement itself um, because, um, yeah, I'm very curious what will happen if I do that. Um, I think those are very practical um, exercises. Um, you had a name for the second one. Do you have a name for the three of them? Or I it... don't. No, you don't? No. Okay. Okay. So we will um, also put a link in the show notes so um, people can find them. Um, yeah. I, I'm I not sure. Maybe this is all quite new, but maybe through somatic experiencing, they might show those exercises. Um, but in terms of names, I think some people might have given it different names, I would say, you know, because there isn't one one author or one therapist doing it. It's, um, it's a somatic approach that comes from many years ago when psychology was splitting into verbal and somatic and then somatic kind of got forgotten for some mm -hmm. reason and verbal stayed as the famous version of it. Um, 
but yes, they go way back and there's all sorts of movements that aren't, that don't have a specific name, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it does. Um, there are so many variations and so many um, um, ways of, of approaching it. So I, I can imagine that it is hard to uh, find one exercise um, attached to a name. Um, let me... Oh, wait, sorry. It's That's a bit... Right. You want to do a little break? Oh, it's lagging a little bit. My own webcam. Do you s still see me? Yeah, perfectly oh, okay. fine. Okay, perfect. Sorry. Okay, what did what did you ask? Sorry. Uh, if you want, we can do a little break. It's it's gonna be almost time to wrap up as well, so we could do a little break and uh, a few final questions. Shall we do that? Yeah, yeah. I'm always uh, I'm already uh, at the end of uh, my question, so that's no problem. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> um, when you have, do you have a routine in a daily? Um, um, do you have a daily routine for your movements? I don't. You know, um, I would like to say that I do, but I would also like to release the pressure of that. I think people sometimes push themselves so far and they feel so bad because they see on Instagram everyone moving every day and those uh, morning routines that start at 5 a.m. And sometimes that can be quite counterproductive, you know. And I do tend to move weekly, definitely. I try to get to train two to three times per week. Um, and I stand up. When I'm in, when I work in school, because I also work part time in a school with teenagers for teenager mental health, uh, I have a stand up desk. So I make sure that I keep active throughout the day as much as possible. I cycle to work, but I can't say, so I do get movement on my day naturally, daily as well, but I can't say that I have like a movement routine um, that is set you know, and I don't want to, and I wouldn't recommend if you don't feel comfortable with that, if you feel as a human being um, that it can get almost stressful, then it's being counterproductive because you're going to be doing that without wanting to do it. And you're causing your body to not be happy because you're uh, pushing yourself. And if you miss it, you're going to be stressing about it, you know, so it's, I think, although having a routine is good, if it works for you, perfect. But it's something that I don't like to force on people, you know, especially um, if you have uh, a cycle, as I do, there comes a part of my cycle that I all I want to do is to eat and relax. So that's what I'm going to do for a few days. Hmm. And when I shifted my perspective to respect that, to respect our cycles, may they be women cycles or just psychological cycles, you know, men cycles whatever, um, it's important to feel your body's timing and your body's cycle and, and to understand, is this, uh, do I need to move or should I just do a little stretch or should I do nothing and not feel bad about it? You know, it's, it's really important to keep respecting our body as, as it is and really listening to it as the first point, the first priority, and then take it from there. But yes, definitely keep moving. Hopefully that <laughs> that made sense. 
No, I, th I think it's a good invitation to um, move more intuitively and not um, make the routine uh, as static as the most workouts are. <laughs> so <laughs> I, think that's a, I think that's a good one. Um, is there anything you'd like to advise or give to the people um, on their journey in movement and self-healing? Yes, definitely. Um, listen to your body. Listen to your body. Um, it's You can have all sorts of coaches and therapists working around you and teachers and gurus and, you know, podcasts. Um, but it's all about listening not to your cognitive self, but to really notice what, how your body feels some people call it intuition you know really listen to that and really connect ground yourself um and and become more connected to your nature and to nature because nature really gets you to the rela relaxing point um of of understanding where oh yeah you you're back me? yeah yeah Nature. So I was saying, um, I'll, I'll go back and, and repeat it, kind of listen to your own body signals, not the mind signals, not the I should, I must, I like, I don't like. No, like really get in touch with how your body is feeling. Are you having, um, are you feeling your intestines when you're next to someone? Are you feeling stressed? Are you feeling drained after being that with that someone? Do you feel relaxed in the presence of someone? When you're doing a particular task, does that heightens your energy in a beautiful way? Or does that make you feel tired? You know, all those little tweaks and really connect to your body's nature really learn how to come down to your body as much as you can and, and perceive your body's communication as well because that's a different language per se. And I was also saying, I think probably you didn't have it because the, the camera, I think, went down. Um, at the same time, connect to nature because we are nature. And for us to connect to our bodies is a connection to, it needs a connection to nature itself, you know? So those two things connect to yourself and remember that yourself is nature so you need to do that at home and home is the forest home is the beach home is the mountains the lakes the sea and and etc the jungle um so spend as much time in that home in your home as you can while you connect with yourself i think that is the most beautiful message to wrap up a podcast um <laughs> Yeah, that that is all the answers lie in that advice. If you connect in a way you just described, the answers will come through you because um, the body and nature consist all the answers, right? Yeah. Wow. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much. And a more um, superficial question you're probably not expecting. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, I'm ready. <laughs> Benil Darius <laughs> or oh my Charles God. Oliveira. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think my husband is going to win, you know. Um, <laughs> I, might, I think the listener you know, does not know. You might be a bit, a bit biased, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh yes, it's it's such a such a what's the word for it? A platonic relation that I have and <laughs> completely unhealthy. <laughs> but um, no, it's really funny. I really I, I really love MMA, and I think Charles Oliveira actually represents everything that I love about um, MMA. Um, and I think that's why I appreciate him so much. I hope he wins. Uh, and, uh, you know, just because he represents, um, talent with courage, with, um, being humble, um, and doing things from the heart, even silly things such as getting himself knocked out all the time and, and saying, actually, I can get knocked down and then I'll just go back and I'll be even stronger. Like you can't wait for that, you know, like only someone with way too much passion and like <laughs> too much courage, someone with really humble backgrounds where he had to fight so much for his life and his health as well. Only someone who's lived like that does something like that, gets his chin out and, and open and ready to fight back. You know, I think I find it all really inspiring and and uplifting. And yes, I root for him, for my platonic <laughs> love. <laughs> that would be my, my choice, yeah. It will be a great matchup, that's for sure. I hope he <laughs> yeah. wins as well. The champion has a name, so... Um, it's Charles Oliveira. Um, I want to thank you for your time. I wanted uh, to give the listener an opportunity to connect with your warmth, with your knowledge and everything you present. And I think um, this conversation made that possible. So thank you for your time. Thank you for everything. And um, we you. might talk in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure, definitely. Um, and yes, more than happy to do a round two uh, to discuss lots of other things that we have in common. And yes, once again, thank you so much for seeing me and for asking such great questions. And it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure was all right.